of Hebrews chapter 8. And continuing going through the book of Hebrews. And so before we read this chapter, I think it's important that we kind of do a little bit of review, just remind ourselves of what we've been talking about in the last several weeks. Because you'll notice in the first verse here, let me go ahead and read the first verse. It says, Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Okay, so right here, the sum, all right? So this is, you know, let's add all these things up, all right? You know, the, the answer to an addition problem is the sum, right? And so right here, this is the sum of everything that we've talked about so far. And you've got to get this because Hebrews chapter 8 is probably has some of the, I mean, most misused verses that the dispensationalists like to use. Hebrews chapter 8 and Romans chapter 11. I'm going to show you tonight just some major, I mean, major mistakes dispensationalists make when interpreting these passages. And it, it's what caused them to go into just, you know, full-blown retardation. And we don't want that happening. We got to make, and it's important, I say this all the time, when it comes to the Scriptures, we can't just take one verse and zero in on it and run with it. You've got to look at the context of everything. And in chapter 8, in order to understand chapter 8, you have to remind yourself of what we've talked about in the weeks before. And many people, uh, unfortunately, you know, we're just, we, we're not good readers today. We don't have a lot of reading comprehension. And so people struggle with this, but you have to do that in order to, uh, in order to understand Hebrews chapter 8. So remember, when it comes to the Hebrews, we are talking to people. We talked about this in the earlier weeks. That these are people who were the people of God, correct? Because they were the Jews, right? But something changed, alright? Jesus Christ came and He gave that new covenant. He died on the cross. And we are now going into a new era. And if these people want to remain the people of God, okay, if they want to remain Israel, you could say, they need to go on. They need to cross the Jordan, figuratively speaking. And they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to get saved is what they needed to do. Not everybody necessarily, just because they were of Israel, was saved. There were many Jews that were saved, but many weren't. And so if the Jewish people as a whole, if they want to remain the people of God, they have got to get in on following after Christ. They have to do that. So we've got to keep in mind that who this is written to, these are people who we're the people of God. But something's changed now. It's not about a physical lineage or anything like that. It's, you know, salvation is being offered to the Gentiles, and this is a new era. Them denying or, you know, getting away from those old, uh, you know, traditions and things, it wasn't them being disloyal to the Scriptures. This is what they were supposed to do. Them remaining loyal to those old sacrifices and those carnal ordinances, it would have been like, the generation that God led into the promised land saying, no, you know what? We're sticking to the tradition of wandering in the wilderness. No, you're not supposed to stay there. You're supposed to move on. You're supposed to go forward. Go ahead and go into the promised land. And these people, many Jews, they wanted to stay loyal to those old covenants and those old traditions and things. But no, it's time to move forward. You're going to follow Christ. This is what we've got to do. So keep all those things in mind. And we'll probably mention some more of those in a little bit. But we've, so we've got to understand with Hebrews 8 that it is the sum of the first seven chapters. So in other words, all the evidence presented in the first chapters adds up to what we're reading about 
in chapter 8. So therefore, it would be foolish for us to take a verse from chapter 8 and not be keeping in mind what we've read in the previous chapters. Okay? Because what somebody might try to do with the way I'm going to interpret some of these verses and be like, that's not what it says. You know, where do you see that anywhere in that passage? Well, you're not going to see it in this passage, but you'll see it in the previous seven chapters. But sorry, Baptist, you're going to have to focus on more than one chapter at a time. You've got to look at the whole book, all right? This is one letter. Okay? When was the last time any of us wrote a letter that long? Okay? We just don't do that kind of stuff these days. What do we do? We send text messages. Okay, because that's all the comprehension that we've got. That's how dumb we are as a society. And you know they weren't, you know, they weren't as dumb uh, back in the day. And so we've got to overcome this infirmity, and we've got to try to keep in mind the things that we have talked about in the previous weeks. So let's go ahead and read verses one through six right now. It says now the things which we have spoken. This is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So, I want you to notice a few things. In the previous chapters, he has been telling them it's time to move forward. Okay, let's go on. You all need to make this next step. You need to follow Christ. You need to leave behind those old ordinances. Don't be like your fathers that died in the wilderness because of unbelief. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I think it was in chapter 7. All right, you know, we've got all that figured out about salvation. You know, now let's move on to perfection. Let's, let's move on. Let's start talking about, you know, doing good works and all these other things that come with being a saved person. You know, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. It's time to grow up. It's time for us to move on from the milk, stop talking about salvation all the time, and start talking about what we're supposed to actually do as a believer. And so then when he gets into chapter 8, he's noticed all these things that he mentions in here that are better. What we are going to, what, I'm, what we're trying to lead you into here is something that's better. Y'all are trying to hang on to something that was temporary, something that didn't get anything accomplished, and we're asking you to move on to something that's better than what you had. Because the new covenant, it was better than the old. It calls it a better covenant. Or, and uh, notice too, some things that are better in the new covenant than the old covenant. Well, notice we have a better high priest, don't we? Think about some of the high priests in the Old Testament. Think about Aaron. Of course, he wasn't a high priest yet when he made the golden calf. But he, was, he had some flaws, didn't he? Think about guys like Eli, who had the sorry sons that he had. And there were some good high priests. But you know what? They all had problems. They all had infirmities. And that's mentioned in uh, the last chapter we saw that. Okay, we've got to remind ourselves. We saw this in uh, chapter 7, verse 26. It says, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, 
who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once when he offered up himself. So you see, we have a better high priest, don't we? Jesus is a better high priest than any of those ones we had before. He's perfect. He's holy. He's separate from sinners. And you know what else? He lives forever. He's not going to die. He can't lie. He, so we have a better high priest. What We have a better tabernacle. It mentions in verse 2, the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. They had a tabernacle in the Old Testament, didn't they? Eventually they built a temple. But you know what? That was just a picture of the real one. That was just a shadow of the real one. Truth is, there's a temple that's in heaven. And it's the real one. It's the better one. Those sacrifices and things that were done in the temple and in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, they never saved anybody. But you know what? Jesus Christ, He went and offered His blood on the mercy seat in heaven and that was good for all of us and for all eternity. And those sacrifices that they did back in the Old Testament, they had to do them every year, didn't they? But Jesus, He had to do it once and He did it for all of us. And so you see how we have a better high priest. We have a better tabernacle. We have better sacrifices. Verse 3, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat to also to offer. For if you were on earth, you should not be a priest, seeing there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. So the priests in the Old Testament, they had gifts and things that they offered. But you know what? What Jesus offered was better. Okay? Because the things that they brought, the offerings they brought, the people would bring their offerings to the priest, right? And then the priest would offer those things up on behalf of the people. Well, notice, we can only bring what we can bring. Okay? Now, we, t- we touched on this a little bit last week. So, let's say, all right, for example, you know, I bring a lamb to be sacrificed. I offer a lamb as an offering or, or whatever. Any of those Old Testament offerings. Did me offering up that lamb save me? No. Did the blood? That, no. The blood of that lamb. Did that blood of that lamb save anybody? No. But what was it that saved the people in the Old Testament? It was their faith, right? And these people who were of faith, one of the things that they would do is they would offer these sacrifices, which was something that people of faith did. It was them looking forward to what was to come. Just like today. We, when we get saved, what do we do? We get baptized. What's that? It's not, that does, does getting baptized save us? No. But what is it? It's us pointing back to what Jesus did. So what they did back then, it didn't save them, but it was pointing forward to what Jesus was going to do. And it didn't save them any more than us getting baptized saves us when that is just us pointing back to what Jesus Christ did. Same thing when we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper doesn't save us. That is just us pointing back to what Jesus did. That is what people of faith do. And notice, those Old Testament sacrifices, they could only bring what they were capable of bringing. And none of them were capable of offering up sinless blood. But Jesus Christ was able to do that. And so because His offering was good, because He was pure, because He was that lamb without spot, without blemish, He was able to do it one time. And it never needed to be done again. So we, we have better sacrifices. Well, what are our sacrifices? It's Jesus' sacrifice. And so we don't offer up sacrifices anymore. We don't have to do that. Jesus did it. He finished it. And so it would, it would mess up the picture if we were still doing it again. And so we don't do that. We don't sacrifice anything anymore. 
So we have better sacrifice. Look what it says in uh, chapter 9, verse 24 of Hebrews. It says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. He didn't go into Solomon's temple and do it, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So you see how much better that was? Now, you know, it would have been pretty cool. When I went to Israel, we went to the Temple Mount Institute and they were showing us the new artifacts they've made for all the sacrifices and everything. And there was a lady there that was giving us a tour and she was explaining all the sacrifices. And it was, it was kind of neat. It was really neat hearing that her talk about the sacrifices because the whole time she's talking about these sacrifices, while she didn't know what she was talking about, I knew exactly what she was talking about. Aaron was reminding me of Jesus and what he has already done. And while it would have been kind of cool if you could go back in time and watch them do some of that stuff knowing what it meant, do you realize what they did just pales in comparison to what Jesus actually did in heaven? And what they did, it was only a picture of what Jesus was going to do. What Jesus did was better. Notice how everything's better. Hey, y'all, come on. Y'all, Hebrews, this is better. This is better than what you've had. We've got a better high priest. We've got better a tabernacle. We've got better sacrifices. And then we have a better ministry. Verse 5. Who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou shalt make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. Okay? We've got a better ministry. We have, no, and then look at verse, uh, and then it says, um, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Okay? Now don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. The writer of Hebrews said it, but the New Testament's better than the Old Testament. Okay? It, it's better. It's a, it's, a better, it's a better covenant. It's a better testament. And that's, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So everything's better. So if you're talking to a group of Hebrews who were the people of God, you know, didn't mean they were saved. Okay? Didn't mean they were saved, but they were God's nation. They were God's chosen people. Did not mean they were saved. But he's now telling these people, hey, we are going into a new era. And if you all want to remain in that standing and that status, then you've got, to, you've got to go with us and follow Jesus. You've got to leave behind those old sacrifices. You've got to leave behind all those carnal ordinances. You've got to forget about that high priest. Okay? We've got a new high priest. And he's better. He's Jesus. We've got, be- we've got better everything. Okay? It's better everything. And so... Understand, while many Jews felt like, you know, probably felt like they were denying their faith or whatever, they weren't. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And throughout these previous chapters, he's been giving example after example in the Old Testament, showing them that this is, uh, you know, this is what was prophesied. You all are being obedient to the Old Testament by following after Christ. You all are being obedient to the Old Testament by forgetting that high priest and and accepting Jesus as your high priest. So those old ways, they were only a shadow of the real thing. And that's why we're going to see in some of the later chapters in Hebrews, you know, it was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins and all those things it mentions. Those never saved anybody. 
They were a shadow of what was actually going to save people, and that was Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. That tabernacle, it was special. It was something that was holy. It meant a lot because it was a picture of something that was holy and something that was sacred. And God didn't want them defiling it. God didn't want them messing with it. He mentioned there in Hebrews 8 and verse 5, you know how He said, you make this according to the pattern that I tell you. You make this the way I tell you to make it. You do these sacrifices the way I tell you to do these sacrifices. You follow all these rules because if they would have, it would have made it really obvious who Jesus was. I mean, think about if that generation that crucified Jesus would have been in their Bibles a little bit more, if they'd have been doing things right at that time, you'd have think they'd have known what was going on. You'd have think a lot of those people, when they're watching people, you know, part his garments among them and upon his vesture or casting lots. Be like, you know, I've heard that in a song before. How many of us have just been going along our merry way and we see something going on and it causes us to just think of a song? You know, we've got those songs in our hearts. Ask my family. We can't drive down the road without me breaking into song about ten times because I see things and I sing the songs. I see a billboard for, you know... a you know, State Farm, and you know, I'm singing like a good neighbor. State Farm is there or something. I just, I can't help it. I, I do that. I, and I, I, I know all these songs, and I constantly break out into them when I see these things. And if these people would have had the Book of Psalms in their hearts like they should have, when they're seeing somebody part his raiment among them and upon his vesture casting lots, they should have broke out into song right then and been like, wait a minute, this is what was prophesied. And there was many, many things that happened at the cross that are spelled out in the book of Psalms. Why, so why did God put all those things in there? Why did He tell them to do these things? So when Jesus came, they would recognize that this is what was prophesied. He is who we should follow. He is who we should believe on and listen to. But, the, so, but those blood of animals, they never actually saved anyone. Hebrews 10.4 For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So anytime some ructard comes along and tells you they got saved by faith plus works, you know, by faith plus sacrificing an animal. What do we do with Hebrews 10 for? Okay, that absolutely destroys that teaching. So then how were they saved in the Old Testament? Okay, just, and just quickly, we're not going to go into it because this is going to come in a later week. How did they get saved in the Old Testament? Hebrews 11, by faith. By faith, it just keeps going. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Sarah. By faith, by faith, by faith. That's how they got saved in the Old Testament. By faith, same way we do. So look at verse six. Verse six of Hebrews eight says, "But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless." then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Alright? It just said that first covenant was fault. It had faults. Okay? But wait a minute. Doesn't Psalm 19 say the law of the Lord is perfect? Converting the soul. Why was the old covenant, why did it have faults? Well, it tells us right there in verse 8 for finding fault with them. See, this is what we forget about. 
And y'all got to get this, all right? A covenant involves two people, okay? When you get married, it's a marriage covenant, right? It's two of you. There's two parties involved. In that old covenant, there was two parties involved. There was God and there was Israel, okay? Who messed up the covenant? Israel did, okay? Finding fault with them. How did they mess it up? They couldn't keep the law. They constantly disobeyed God. That's all we read about throughout the entire Old Testament is them failing, 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 generation after generation, failing, failing. That Old Covenant, the fault was not anything that was written. Everything that's written in the Old Testament is good. It's all, it is perfect. But there was a huge problem with the other party involved in that Old Covenant. And it was man. It was Israel. Why? What was their problem? Their problem was they came from Adam. And therefore, they were sinful, just like everybody else in the world. And they, couldn't, they, they could not get their sins cleansed through that old covenant because there was a fault with them. They could not keep the law. They weren't capable of it. And so this new covenant, okay, this new covenant requires two parties too. All covenant requ- covenants require two parties. But you see, this one's better because the, the new covenant, you could say, was the first covenant was between God and Israel. Okay? But the new covenant is between God and Jesus Christ. Or Abraham's seed. And what does the Bible say? If ye are in Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. So, this is how come the new covenant's better. This is why the new covenant works because it's a covenant between God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And guess what? There was no fault in Jesus Christ. No fault in Him. And so do you see why salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ? Do you see why Billy Graham was wrong when he talked about all these other religions you know, that were able to you know, get salvation to without Jesus Christ? No. No, you can't. Do you see why John Hagee's wrong when he talks about how God's got this separate covenant with Israel? Well, yeah, he does have a separate covenant with physical Israel, but they can't handle it. They couldn't do it because they have a fault. They're sinful. So if they're going to get saved, they've got to get in on the better covenant because the first covenant, they've all broke it. Why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the new covenant is between God and Jesus and Jesus Christ. There was no fault in Him. He kept His end of the deal. He was the sacrifice. He lived the perfect life. He fulfilled all those laws. He did every bit of that stuff for us. And the Bible teaches that if those of us who are of faith, we are Abraham's seed. We are in Christ. So our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. And our sins are not imputed unto us. And that, do you see how much better the new covenant is than the old covenant? Okay. When I say the new covenant is better, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Old Testament. I'm just saying that there's plenty wrong with us. And for us to have a chance, we had to have something different. We had to have something better, something with better promises. God would have kept all those promises in the Old Testament, but the problem is, Nobody could live up to what they had to do to get those promises. But these promises are better. Why? Because what do we have to do? All we've got to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be saved. So you could say 
And this is where the dispensationalists, what they say is partially correct. It, it is correct in some ways, but then they, they take it and they run the wrong direction with it. And you could say that we did get in on the covenant with Israel. But it was a real Israel. Because notice what it says there in verse um, 8. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with who? The house of Israel. Now, the dispensationalists will try to teach. They, they try to teach that this is yet in the future. This is something that is still to come. And I'm going to show you, it's the same thing they do in Romans chapter 11, where they get it wrong. Okay, this has already happened. Okay, what I personally believe, this new covenant that it mentions right here, this is quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. Go ahead and go to Jer uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. Well, you know what? Go ahead and go to Jeremiah 31. Keep your finger there. Let me go ahead and read these next verses to you. Let me read the rest of this chapter to you, alright? So he mentions that new covenant. And he says in verse 9, Not according to the first covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. They continued not in the covenant. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least even to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, A new covenant he made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So notice here, he says, you know, they're not going to... well. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, right here, this passage that we see, what tense are many of these promises? All right? Past, present, or future? The future, right? So, what the dispensationalists will do, they'll take and say, this is something that's yet to come. God still got another covenant with Israel. And this is where all Israel is going to be saved. And they all want to say this is some future event. And that could not be any farther from the truth. That is ridiculous. And there is, it, it's so simple why they miss this. And I've pointed this out to some of them before, but they're, they're willingly ignorant of this stuff. And maybe they're not willingly ignorant. Maybe it's just because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's why they can't get this. But at the same time, I'm going to show you this is really clear. So go back to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Because you've got to look at this because Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah. That's why it's using future tense. Okay? Because it's quoting Old Testament Scripture. Now, when Jeremiah 31 is written, it's using future tense. You know why? Because this is something that was going to come in the future. But when the writer of Hebrews is talking about it, he's just quoting the Old Testament. That's why he's using the future tense. He's not telling them, hey, you know, this is something that's to come way out there. No, just like many times every week, we've went back and we've looked at the Old Testament passages that it was referring to. And many of them, they were pretty much all future, weren't they? But they were fulfilled with Jesus Christ. And for some reason, when they get to Hebrews chapter 8, all of a sudden, it's not quoting the Old Testament showing that, hey, this has been fulfilled. No, nope, this is something different. We're in chapter 8 now. This is something out in the future. 
No, this has already happened. This has already been fulfilled. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And this is the verse they like to have fun with to prove that this is something that's in the future. Look what it says here. Because who's Hebrews talking to? Talking to the Jews, right? Well, yeah. Look what it says verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Does all Israel know the Lord right now? No. And then they'll, talk, then they'll prove that they're you know, just not stupid when they're going around praising the Gentiles. I mean, they'll talk about how wicked they are. They'll actually bring up all the wickedness that goes on over there because this hasn't been fulfilled yet. All Israel hasn't been saved yet. They don't all know the Lord right now because you know, knows the same. You know, where's the soul winning? Going, they don't need to go soulling there because it's talking about the millennial kingdom. They're all going to be saved during that time. What's that talking about? Let's keep reading verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, or depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. That proves they're still God's chosen people. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Right there, it shows God has not cast away His people. Just like He said. Showing right there, God's not done with Israel. This is a future prophecy. No, it isn't. It's already been fulfilled. This already happened. It's future tense because it's quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. So what what all is this talking about? Well, look, Luke 22 and verse 20. Jesus is speaking here. This is at that last supper. And look what he says. Likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Okay? Jesus Christ is that New Testament. Jesus Christ was that new covenant. That new covenant that God was going to make with the house of Israel, it was one that was between God and Jesus Christ. Okay? It was one that was between it because there was no fault in Him. And the only way that we can get into heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? Okay? We get saved. We now have the Holy Spirit and we cannot lose our salvation. We will never stop being His. And so, the, the, you know, these stories in the Old Testament, they prove that man was not able to keep their end of the first covenant. And, they try, and so the dispensations will try to say this is referring to a future event, but we're already in this day. Okay? All Israel knows Him because those who are of Israel are those who are saved. Okay? If you're saved, how did you get saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't need to go telling everybody know the Lord. Those of us who are of Israel, we know the Lord. Okay? We all know the Lord. 
Those of us who are saved, we know the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. He is in our hearts and all Israel knows it because those who are of Israel are those who are saved. The laws are written in our hearts because we have the Holy Spirit. And He wrote them in our hearts. This doesn't mean any of us are perfect because He's still being merciful to our unrighteousness. Look what it says in verse um, 12. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So is this saying that they're going to be perfect? No. And, And do we say we're perfect after we get saved? No. But what happens? What changes? There's that new creature. Okay? And our sins are not imputed unto us. There's a big difference between a saved person who's a sinner and a lost person who's a sinner. The saved person's sins are not imputed unto them. That's the only difference. Where did that come from? Why do we get this? Because of faith. Okay? And we see here that you know, this, you know, none of us are perfect. He's still being merciful to us. God's still being merciful to those of us who are saved. And so... Uh, look at Romans chapter 11. So this is the same thing that happens in Romans 11. Let me show you a few verses in there. And then, uh, and then also uh, go to Isaiah chapter 45. Romans chapter 11. Now, what I just claimed there in Hebrews, okay, it might be confusing you a little bit. Now, wait a minute, that's not clear. You just mentioned how we're Israel now, you know, because we're a faith. How come none of that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 8. That's a pretty big deal, right? So why, is, you know, why don't we see that anywhere in the book of Hebrews? It, there's a really good reason for that. I'll get to that in a little bit. All right? Let's go to Romans right now just to show that Paul is preaching the exact same thing in Romans. In Romans chapter 11, and we don't have time to read all the verses in this passage, but let's look at the, the famous one that the dispensationalists love to use. And it says in verse um, 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. Okay? As it is written. So now it's quoting something from the Old Testament, right? So it's going to be future tense, right? But this has already happened. This is not in the future. The dispensationalists say it is. It says, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn ungodliness away from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. How was Jacob's sins taken away? By the blood of Jesus Christ. He did it. He's not doing something else again in the future. Hey, the sacrifice has already been made. There's not another sacrifice that can be made. The only way there's remission of sins is by the shedding of blood... Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It's already done. And if Israel, if Jews are going to get saved, they've got to get in on this covenant through the blood of Christ. There is not another covenant coming that's going to get them saved. Not going to happen. This is future tense because of the fact it's quoting Old Testament. It's quoting Jeremiah. Go and uh, go back to Jeremiah chapter 45. Jeremiah chapter 45 In verse 17, it says, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Now that sounds pretty familiar. We see verses like that. And whosoever believes in him shall not be ashamed. Whosoever believes in him shall not make haste. 
That's mentioned in Romans. It says, it's saying here they're going to be saved with an everlasting salvation. It's going to be one that they're not going to lose. That's Isaiah 45 and verse... Did I say Jeremiah? That's Isaiah. I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 17. I saw the puzzle looks. So, but Israel shall be saved in the Lord. Who is the Lord? Jesus Christ. Those of us who are saved, we are in Christ. If ye are in Christ, ye are Abraham's seed. You see how it all makes sense? How it all goes together? All Israel shall be saved in the Lord. How do you get in the Lord? By faith in Jesus Christ. Just like Abraham had faith. And look what it says in 45 verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved. Wow. Look unto me, be ye saved. Look on Christ. Trust in Him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't see the works in there. Look unto me and be ye saved all the, all the ends of the earth. Not just, not just Jews. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by Myself the Word is gone out of My mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto Me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Look at, boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Where is our righteousness from? In Jesus Christ. In the Lord. And even to Him shall men come, and all that are increased against Him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Y'all see that? It's prophesying in Isaiah 45, all Israel is going to be saved. How is all Israel saved? In the Lord. Faith in Christ. And when Romans 11 is saying all Israel shall be saved, it's quoting Isaiah chapter 45. It's another Old Testament quote. If they're all over in the book of Romans. They're all over in the book of Hebrews. This is not a future event. This is not something that's to come. This is something that already happened. And he, the writer of Hebrews is bringing up those passages just trying to show them all these things. That, hey, this is a better covenant. A better high priest. Better everything. You just need to put your faith and trust in Him. And it's an everlasting salvation. You'll be saved forever. All Israel will be saved. All who are of faith will be saved. And these people in the book of Hebrews... If they want to continue being Israel, they've got to move on. They've got to get saved. They've got to have faith in Christ. And all those promises of the Old Testament, all those everlasting covenants, all those things, they will never go away. And see, this is where dispensationalists too, I think on purpose, they mess this stuff up. You do see conditional covenants in the Old Testament. But then there, you do see also unconditional ones. And many of those are with Israel. They're with Israel. And so, you have these natural men that are preaching who haven't got the Holy Spirit and they can only see the physical. They see that as belonging to a physical people. Completely missing out everything we learn from the better covenant, from the New Testament, that reveals more things to us. Showing that, you know what, not only are, is Israel just all who are of faith, but you know what? That's what it always was. And those eternal promises that were made to Israel, we learn in the New Testament were to the true Israel. To those who had the circumcision of the heart. To those who are of faith. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11. And so understand when we are in Hebrews chapter 8, I would not normally 
go to Hebrews chapter 8 and use uh, what we read in there as you know, proof that we are Israel. You don't see that in Hebrews chapter 8. And for very good reason, you know, that's, he's, he's talking to people who were the people of God. And he's, he's not teaching them, you know, this isn't the subject. He's talking about how Gentiles become a part of Israel. That's not what he's talking about. What he's teaching them here is how you can continue being the people of God. You're going to have to have faith. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, that is a better covenant, my friend. You will be the people of God for all eternity. And it, it'll never change. And so, right, and so, we don't see a lot of emphasis on who Israel is in this passage because it's written specifically to Jews. But we do see an emphasis on what these people needed to do to remain a part of Israel. To not fall away. To not all those things that we've looked at in the previous chapters where it looks like where people will say you can lose your salvation. No, these people, they were in danger if they don't get with the program and follow Christ of no longer being the people of God anymore. And so they did. They needed to trust Christ. You know what they needed to do to remain a part of Israel? They needed to enter into his rest. It was time to cease from their labors. It was time to put away all those carnal ordinances. It was time to forget about that earthly high priest. And it was time to say, you know what, we're done with that. Our faith is in the work of Jesus Christ. Our faith, we're going to make, no, whoever the high priest was at that time, he's no longer our high priest. You know what? As a congregation, we have appointed Jesus Christ as our high priest. We accept Him as our high priest. We don't care about those sacrifices that that other high priest offers. We want the sacrifice that Jesus Christ the High Priest offers, which will save us forever, which involves us ceasing from our labors and moving on. And that, my friends, is what Hebrews 8 is all about. Hebrews 8 is showing how much better this new covenant is. The first one had faults. The fault wasn't with God. It wasn't with the Word of God. It was with who the covenant was made to. But we see throughout the Old Testament, it's all over in there, we don't have time to go into it. We do see within those promises a promise to the seed. There was that promise to the seed. I'm going to give you all this land to your seed, Abraham. We see that it's only, it was almost like there was a, I don't know, there's like some fine print in there. But you understand that fine print was to our advantage. While many people thought, you know, hey, this is about us as a people. Now, God knew from the beginning these people are never going to be able to handle this. So I'll make a promise to a seed that's in there. I'll promise them a seed. And that seed will be Jesus Christ. And they will be able to get in on these promises through Jesus Christ. And so what an amazing, what an amazing thing it is. What a, I mean... And it's, you know, Hebrews just shows how amazing the Old Testament is. That's why all the details of these, these things in there, it's important that we go back and we read these things. They help us understand salvation. They help us understand what God did and what all was involved so we could go to heaven. And what a great salvation we have. What an amazing thing it is. We ought to be overwhelmed by it. 
We ought to be made by it. And you know what? We need to stand against people that are dumbing down salvation by the stupid dispensational garbage. I mean, do you not see just what garbage and what trash that is? Do you, do you not see how just ridiculous it is to take Hebrews chapter 8 and Romans chapter 11 and just read those passages like they're prophetic events in the future? When all you have to do is just say, look at how it says, as it is written. It's just quoting something from the Old Testament to legitimize what the writer is saying. And it's showing them how this has been fulfilled. This is what we were waiting for. And I'm telling you, Isaiah 45, that's what proves we're right about how we interpret Romans 11 where all Israel shall be saved. They take it and they run with it. You'll never hear a dispensationalist take that verse, all Israel shall be saved, and go back and let's, let's look at Isaiah 45 to see what that's talking about. What do they do? They act like it's a new prophecy of something in the future. No, that's an old prophecy. And it's already been fulfilled. And all you've got to do is just go back to Isaiah 45 and it's crystal clear that it has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The Deliverer already came. When Sam gets saying, you know, who, who did the Gentiles need delivered from? It was the Jews that needed the deliverer because they were always in bondage to the Gentiles. Romans 11 says the deliverer was going to come and take away, did it say their enemies? No, I take away their sins. The sins is what got Israel in trouble. When they were right with God, the enemies couldn't touch them. But they got in trouble by the enemies all the time. You know why? Because of their sin. If they want to have victory, they've got to get rid of their sin. That only happens through Jesus Christ. So, man, I'm telling you, I love Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. I love Hebrews chapter 8. And dispensations can go jump in a lake. Or somewhere opposite of water. As far as I'm concerned. So, on that pleasant note, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the amazing salvation that you've given us Lord. just it's it's just incredible lord the the prophecies that were fulfilled no no earthly author could come up with something like this lord it's so clear when we just put these scriptures together that this is your word that you are the author of it that you had a plan from the very beginning and i'm I'm just in awe of what we learned from these things dear god and i just pray you'll help us to uh, be thankful for it. Help us to not just take this knowledge and, and get puffed up with it, Lord, but we'll just, we'll, it'll motivate us to just spread the message of salvation, Lord. It's so simple. It's not about our works. It's about Your works. And I pray You'll just help us to get this message to the ends of the earth. In Your name we pray. Amen.